I've got about eight sermons to preach tonight, and uh, Sherilyn will definitely attest to this. Through the time that I was uh, trying to prepare, and I, and I had it, it's all based around one thing, but I was like, oh, well, I got to add that. Well, I got I to say that. Well, I got to say that. So about midnight, we're going to leave, and uh, we're going to get out of here. Uh, but if you will, let's, uh, let's turn to Exodus, and we're going to read parts of three and parts of four. So I'm, I know we're just riveted by Exodus. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I'll just jump right into it. So one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the Lord God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Whose kids are those? And the God of Jacob. That's my sister-in-law, everybody, sorry. <laughs> Stop it. Get behind me, Satan. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So we've read through three, we've read through verse 12 there. In chapter 3. So let's skip over right here to, to verse 4, or to chapter 4, excuse me. And so, but Moses protested again, verse 1, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord has never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is, in, what is that in your hand? So let's, let's take just a second. Stop here for a second. What we have come upon is Moses. So if you look at Moses' life, Moses really has a 340s, if you want to think of his life in that way. So he has 40 years that he spent as the prince of Egypt, living as a son to Pharaoh. And then you have another 40 to where he's in the wilderness. And then his last 40 to when he's actually leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. So my, my question was, and, and this may be the question for many of you, is how did the Israelites get there? 
And so I, I know all of you guys are smarter than me, but I, I asked my question. I asked that question. I was like, how did they even end up in Egypt? How did they, how did they get there? Why are they, why are they slaves? So let's back up, let's do a little history lesson. So for 400 years, actually 430 years is what it says later on, is that they were in slavery. Well, if you remember, Joseph was actually sold into slavery from his brother. So he had the Ishmaelites take him and carry him. Well, he went through all this ruckus, all this rugamarole or whatever you wanna call it, and infinitely got to become the second in command over Egypt. And he then brought his family back into Egypt and they survived a famine. Well, they never left. So what has happened is that the Israelites or Israel, the people of Israel have come to Egypt and have been there for 400 years. I don't know if that helps anybody, but that was really important to me. So take that, take that as it may. And so now we come upon Moses and his first 40 years, he's pretty much lived the high life. His, his first chunk of 40, he's lived the high life. You know, he was actually supposed to die but his mother, and, and I don't know why I have this picture in my brain, but I have, I have a picture of this beautiful black lady as his mother. And that she heard, oh no, oh no, you are not going to kill my son. Mm-mm-mm, that is not going to happen. All right. I just had that in my, and Willie, you may attest to that. You may know, but I just heard her say, mm, no, I'm not going to let this happen. This is not going to be the case. And I had that in my brain. So he, she sent him down the river reads, we, we're not going to dig too deep into that. And I don't want to get too deep in all the details. But what I found, or what my first question was, or what, what I discovered through reading this text, is Moses protested. And, and I love how it says it right there. So Moses protested in chapter 3, verse 11. It says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? So reading this, we're like, that's silly. Why are you going to protest to God? Why are you going to say, listen, God, I, I don't really think that that's such a good idea. God, I'm, I'm, I see that you're burning this bush right now. I see that you're doing this, but it's not burning up. I understand that you're kind of powerful, but listen, I, I don't think you've talked to the right guy. I don't think you got the right guy. But the amazing part about it is that God answered Moses by saying, guess what, Moses? Listen, you're actually a really great guy. You know, you were Pharaoh's second, in, you know, you were the, the son of Pharaoh. You've done all these things. You're a mighty warrior. You're just so tough and so strong. And that's the reason I think that Pharaoh will actually tremble at your presence. That's what it says, right? Is that what it says? Is that what it says, Diane? No? Well, let's read it again. Let's make sure. God answered I will be with you. So Moses' question was, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? But God said, I will be with you. Did he sidestep the question? Did God just say, listen, don't, don't worry about who you are. Don't do this. What I think is that our affirmation isn't based on who we are but it's based on who God is. And I wanna go on and tell you something. Tim is very, very, you know, tough. And he has a lot of, you know, just, just natural charisma. But uh, I, I'm a little bit more troublesome or what is the word I'm looking for? I'm a little bit more, I'm just not as self-assured as Tim is. So I'm gonna need you guys to help me out here. 
just a little bit. I can't handle y'all just sitting here quietly at me, so y'all gonna talk back to me just a little bit. But so God, instead of telling Moses, hey, you've got this quality, hey, you've got this quality, hey, you've got this, and oh, by the way, you know, you've, you're, you know, you're 40 years old, you can handle it, you can, you can do it, or actually at this point, he's 80 years old, said, you, you can do it. You've got enough life experience that you can do it. But God didn't say that. God didn't affirm Moses or my, God didn't even give Moses his identity based on who Moses was or what Moses had did, Moses had done. He said, I will be with you. And I like the second part there. It said, and this is your sign. This will be your sign that I am the one who has sent you. So it took me a while to kind of break that down or understand what he was saying. And then all of a sudden I had to picture it. And I'm really trying my very best not to mention Charlton Heston or think about the Ten Commandments and everything. So if I do bring it up once or twice, please, please forgive me. I'm trying my best not to, not to talk about that. But I had to think about that image for a second and think about here is God speaking through this bush. Here is God in the presence of Moses and Moses in the presence of God saying, this is your sign. Oh, hey, by the way, Moses, you see this miraculous thing that's happening right now? You see this thing where, yeah, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. By the way, man can't do that. Man is incapable of that. So here's your sign. This is proof right here that I sent you, that I'm the one. God is the one that is doing this. And I'm going to skip over Moses' second protest because that's an entirely different sermon whenever he asks, what is your name, God? And we could, we could talk for weeks and weeks and weeks about that. But something that I want to spend a majority of my time on is Moses' next protest in chapter 4, verse 1. So Moses is already asking, you know, who am I? What qualities do I have? What am I capable of? that I can do this thing that you've told me to do? What qualities do I have? And then secondly, he says, what if they won't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses said. And I'm going to try my very best to portray this to you as powerfully as it was given to me. And that's been my, that's the reason I've been nervous this whole week. I've been nervous, especially today, is that I want you to, I want you to understand what I'm about to say. What if they won't believe me? Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? Let's, let's back up just a second. Make sure that we completely understand this scene. So after leaving Egypt, after he was run out, run out of Egypt, Moses then went into the wilderness. He came upon some women at a well and the other shepherds actually were gonna run these women off, but he said, no, 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 I'm not gonna let that happen. Y'all can go ahead, water your sheep first, you know, make this, make this fine. Well, then the women brought him back to Jethro, who then Moses went on to marry Zipporah, who is now his father-in-law. So Jethro is now his father-in-law. So Moses is a shepherd. His, his job is a shepherd. 
So the fact that he has a shepherd's staff is probably the most mundane object of, of anything. You know, it, it creates his identity as a shepherd. He uses it to walk up hills. He uses it to, you know, maneuver through the sheep or to, or to separate them one to another. So it's something that he's carried for a long time or something he's had probably ever since he became a shepherd. And then also, let's think about this staff. It's a stick. I mean, it's a stick. Probably six foot long piece of wood was originally a tree. You know, I don't know. Did y'all realize that wood comes from trees? <laughs> Mind blown right there. Y'all write that down. I see some of y'all taking notes. You should write that down. So it's a stick. Nothing, nothing special. It may have some, you know, Moses may have got real, you know, specialty and put some varnish or something like that on it just to keep it from rotting. But it's a stick. Something that Moses has carried for years. And God said, what's in your hand? What have you, what did you bring with you? What have you already got? that I'm going to use to show my power. All right, I'm, y'all aren't spiritual enough. God said, what do you have? What did you bring with you that I'm going to use to prove to the Egyptians that I'm God? I'm going to do it to the middle group. what have you been carrying for years that I'm going to use? What have you been holding on to that you thought was absolutely useless for anything but being a shepherd? Kill it, Stephen. My boy right there. So I consider myself to be a pretty, pretty intelligent person. I know, big shocker to some of you too. Consider myself to be a relatively intelligent person. But I do some pretty ignorant things periodically. This family quiet time, okay? So I do some pretty ignorant things from time to time. One of my, one of my lesser moments is I was in Kroger, in Kroger, and First and foremost, I probably don't need to be going to Kroger. Don't need to be buying the groceries. Don't need to be handling that because I normally go when I'm hungry and we end up with two shopping carts full and it's, it's bad. But so I went to Kroger and had a few items to get. And, you know, we, we deal off a of cozy. So Sherilyn said, you get these 12 items that are on the app and don't sway from these items. Okay. Well, I got 24 items. Couldn't go through the fast lane. You know, so it was, it was bad. But I get to the checkout line going through, scanning, scanning, scanning. And as I walk out, I'm carrying my bags. At that point, I start to think about, you know, I'm thinking about the next step. Okay, I got to get in the car. I got to open up the back. I got to get my keys out. So I reach in my pocket. My keys are gone. I stop, go back in the store. I dig through every single bag. I'm looking, looking, looking. Keys are disappeared nowhere to be had. Well, I go back up to the counter, the register that I came from. I'm looking, I'm saying, hey, have y'all seen some keys? You know, it's Subaru, blah, blah, blah. What is what the keys look like? It's got a BAC ticker on it. I wanted y'all to tell that because I exercise. I wanted wanted y'all to know. (laughs) So they're like, no, we we haven't seen anything. Never, never seen those keys before. 
So I actually had to call Sherilyn, who was actually sleeping from working the night before, call Sherilyn, wake her up to bring me my spare set of keys. She was in the best of moods, just really had, you know, was shining Christ's light as she brought these keys to me. Just so happy to have been able to, to bless me with her presence. So I stick the keys in the car, take off, and I'm just I'm beating myself up. I'm like, you're, you're dumb. You are so silly, you know. Well, it's one of those times that the car doors or the car, you know, horn started beeping or whatever because I hadn't put on my seatbelt. So I then take the, pull it over. And as I pull the seatbelt tight against my chest, I'm like, what is that? So I had a shirt similar to this on, and I reach into my front pocket and find none other but my car keys. And this may be the first time that Sherilyn's hearing that. (laughs) And we may actually have a conversation (laughs) about this later. And I think they even have some apps now to where you can like, you know, where are my keys or something like that. I'll I'll ask Betts' kids probably know about those apps. Um, So uh, just, just ignorant. My next, my next favorite one on myself, and I, 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 I'm, I'm comfortable enough with myself to say when I've done things stupid. My next favorite one is I'll be running around the house looking and looking and looking, and I walk up to Sherilyn and it's like, have you seen my sunglasses? And I don't know how many of y'all met my wife, but she doesn't really deal well with stupid. <laughs> she, can, she can handle sickness. She can handle pain, but stupid is one she just doesn't deal with very well. So she just breathes deep and says, they are on your head. And that is a true story as sure as I'm standing here. But my most favorite one and the, my truest of stupidities is I spend a lot of time at home at night by myself when Sherilyn's working. So she's a nurse, she works, you know, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So I spend a lot of time just sitting on the couch, hanging out, watching television, me and the dog just chilling, you know, just having a big time. Well, so the, the, I don't know if it was the program that I was watching, but anyways, I needed the remote, needing the remote. Well, we've got a big couch and I kind of lounge back in the couch and it's a, you know, it's a corner couch, a sectional, whatever we call it these days. And I was just kicked back and I was like, man, I'm sure that remote has fallen down. And I'm digging through the cushions and I, I even get up. This is important. I get up from the seated position and I'm slinging covers and I'm moving pillows and moving stuff around. And I sit back down. I was like, where could that remote possibly be? I kid you not, it was in my hand the whole time. <laughs> it was in my hand the entire time. So once again, I consider myself to be a relatively intelligent person, but I do some stupid things periodically. But what do all those stories have in common? I had them with me the whole time. The most mundane of objects that at that moment were pretty crucial and that I thought it was the end of the world. And Sherilyn, once again, will probably have a conversation with me as we drive home about the car keys. But I had them with me the entire time. And just like here, Moses had this staff that literally he had carried probably for 40 years. He may have traded it out every once in a while, but it was, it was pretty much the same staff. 
after 40 years. And never once on his journey did he stop and think, you know what? I'm going to need this staff for something really important one of these days. I'm going to, this is going to be a very crucial point in my life. I can almost guarantee you Moses never stopped and thought about that. So we've laughed, we've joked, we've, we've told some silly stories. But what have you got? What are you sitting there with right now that you're thinking, you know, this is the most mundane skill, the most useless talent that I'll ever have. And I don't know that I can ever use it for God and never once thought that you could use it for God. So what is Moses really doing? What is, what is the idea or what is the... What is this whole story about? Back in chapter three, it says that I want you to go get my people. I want my people to be called out, called out. Look at three people and say, you're about to get called out. Okay, you told two people, tell the other person you're about to get called out. Okay, that's better. I didn't see any heads turning, so I knew, I knew y'all couldn't tell three people. So the whole reason that God is here right now is that he needed his people called out of, of Egypt. And I want to say Israel every time, but he wanted his people, call, he wanted the Israelites called out of Egypt. And he knew that Moses was the one to do that. So the whole purpose, the whole reason behind this heavenly encounter is so that God's people could be out of oppression, could be out of slavery and could live with him. So it, it got me thinking, you know, what is, what is a calling? What does that, what does that mean? What is, a, what is a calling? And I got to Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. says, therefore, and I understand you're still turning, but it's, a, it's only a single verse. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God, called by God. Called by God. So if you look at the King James Version, so I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an old, I'm a Baptist from way back. And back when we used to read the King James Version, I know some of y'all are like, I've been a Baptist long and you've been alive. That's okay. So the King James Version actually takes this word. The word is klesis, K-L-E-S-I-S. Klesis is the word there for calling. And if nobody else is impressed, I was actually impressed by my studying right there and looked up <laughs> the Greek word for this. So somebody else please be impressed by that too. So the, the Greek word there is, is actually klesis. And like I say, the King James Version interprets klesis as vocation. Vocation. So Pastor Tim would say that a lot of people have the opportunity to have a vocation and a calling. A vocation and a calling. And he said he is just fortunate enough to have a vocation that is his calling. And so for a lot of us, our vocation doesn't necessarily get to be our calling or we don't think that it's our calling but why do we think that why do we have the opinion that 
you know what, listen, I'm a truck driver. I've been a truck driver, but that's not, that's not what God wants me to, that's not what God wants me to do. Surely God couldn't use that. God couldn't use me as a truck driver for anything to his kingdom. Or you know what, I'm just a, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And I, you know, I don't really get out that often. I don't really see that many people. But the funny thing is, is that Moses was just doing his everyday life. Moses wasn't going to some seminary or headed off to, you know, some spiritual convention. Moses was just tending his sheep. He was just hanging out, doing his everyday life, his everyday job. And God found him. And God called him right exactly where he was. And now let's connect everything together. So Moses' first protest was, who am I? Who am I, God? I'm just some kid with an ag business degree. I'm silly. I like to joke around. Quit it. Who am I? What possibly could I do for the kingdom? But God said, I'm not worried about who you are. I'm worried about who I am. I'm not really concerned about what you did in the past. I'm not really concerned about what you think you have to offer. But I've given you everything you need. And whenever I find you, you're going to have exactly what you need. Because you brought it with you. Because when you think about this stick that was his staff, it was a tree. I don't know if you know this about trees, but trees grow. Where do trees come from? We can get real technical and say, oh, they come from a seed. It comes from this. It comes from that. Where'd the first one come from? God planted that tree. And if you don't think that God planted that tree that Moses then cut down to be his staff, you've lost your mind. What is happening to me right now? He had it with him the whole time. And he called Moses in the exact place where he was. Let's jump ahead a couple thousand years. And let's think about a scene. Let's think about and the first, as soon as I thought about the word calling or call or anything of the sort, I couldn't help but think about a scene of the disciples when they were, oh, get it together. When they were in the boat, they were all alone, and all of a sudden they see a ghost walking on the water. 
And Peter, without hesitating, he jumps up on the side and he says, God, if it's you, tell me. Tell me to come to you. He said, come. Come. He didn't say, whoa, 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 Peter. Hold on just a second, Peter. I'm going to need you to go get a doctorate of divinity. Peter, I'm going to need you. Whoo. I'm going to need you to get ordained in the Baptist church. I'm going to need you to make sure that you wipe yourself clean and that you prepare yourself to enter the holy of holies. He said, come. Is he telling you that? Quit. I can't help but stand here. And know that this message is for you, that this message is for this church. Pastor has laid out a vision for us to, to go, to get out of the pews, to quit sitting here, waiting on God to give us something special or to give us something miraculous. Because God could have said, whenever Moses said, what, are the, what if they don't believe me? God could have passed a golden scepter through the bush and, and given him this magical wand that, that performed all these miracles. He could have given him, you know, pounds and pounds of gold and said, this will buy their slave, this will buy their freedom. God could have said, you know what? Moses, I don't even need you. I'm gonna send all these plagues. I'm gonna send all this hurt on Egypt or I'm just going to send fire down and I'm going to get my people out of there. But he said, Moses, what's in your hand? What did you bring with you that I want to use in a powerful way? I'm getting hot. And I can't help but think there's people sitting right here right now that know, that know, that know that God is calling them to do something more than sit in this pew. Do something more than just say, it's a good sermon, Tim. Listen, that was good, that was good. Now, is everybody here gonna be a preacher? No. Is everybody here gonna be a deacon, no. Is everybody here going to be a singer? No. But what'd you bring with you? What is that thing that you got that you keep thinking, God, if only you would give me something? You've already got it. 
It's in your hand right now. And at its simplest form, calling is nothing but Christ saying, come. And that's truly when our calling commences is when Christ says, come. I don't know if that's saying anything to you guys right now, but that's screaming in my chest that our calling commences when Christ says, come. Come. Rod, wherever you're at, come take this away from me because I'm about to explode. Let's pray. God, 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 thank you. Thank you for the ability to stand here tonight and feel you. And to know that I don't have it. And that I can't do it. But you told us that I am with you. God, you told us that. No matter what you're going to face, no matter how many times that Pharaoh is going to say, no, no, no. I am with you. God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your call as much as it terrifies me. As much as I know that someone is sitting there terrified as well. Terrified of how powerful that you can be in their lives. God, I thank you. I thank you. Amen.